Kent Garrett. Welcome to another episode of LNAH Daily, a news headline version of the Last Negroes at Harvard podcast. In this episode, we talk about the Russian invasion of Ukraine. I'm joined by 12 of my classmates. Well, on the Ukraine, I, I think of the analysis of historians who talk about the uh, run-up to World War One. I. I mean, after World War One, before between World War One and World War Two, when once they had the, uh, which was an, an essentially an imperialist fighting imperialists, and then Germany lost, and then they now say you know, they punished them to the extent that their society got completely cuckoo, which helped lead to the rise of Hitler and the fascism as people, people, uh, all sorts of ideas and tendencies come out in a society under that kind of pressure of squalor and hunger and misery. So it's a matter of what do you do after you've won, uh, you know, after you've won the same thing with Japan, where they say they squeeze them uh, with their energy before World War II, where even Japan's military leaders didn't think that they could defeat the United States, but they felt that they were with their, you know, um, military uh, fantasy leadership that they finally had around there, that they had to be honor bound to uh, have a war was better than knuckling under. So when I look at Russia and uh, after the collapse of Soviet Union and their concerns about NATO, which was supposedly there to uh, defend, uh, you know, defend uh, us against uh, the Soviet Union and all that. That, and there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, John Matlock, the former ambassador, saying that uh, NATO was not supposed to proceed east, and to do so was, in essence, if you're a bit of bear baiting with a nutty, with a bear that could go nutty. And I think that uh, that has to be looked at as what happened. So then we have also the so-called democratic Ukraine, which is really not all that democratic and uh, has a lot of ultra-right groups mixed up there in its government. And they were, their government was installed after a coup, which we know from the Victoria Newland phone leaks that the United States was involved in setting up the coup that brought these uh, current so-called made, you know, orange or whatever color, yellow revolution it was, uh, brought them in. So I look at that as a background and uh, not to excuse them, because this is like, this is like a nutty bear, a bear that's in a mad rage and it could be self-destructive and it's desperate. But uh, I think that the, there's more than one area is responsible. Well, I'm, I'm very worried. Um, I uh, think that Putin is uh, increasingly isolated and very, uh, has this vision of bringing back imperial Russia or the Soviet Union or whatever. I worry that if he fails in this huge undertaking, 
uh, that that he's going to look bad to himself, but also to the Russian people. Um, you know, all those body bags coming back are, is not probably going to be good news. Uh, and uh, so I think there's a possibility that he may say, I'm not going to lose or I'm going to go down in a blaze of glory. And a blaze of glory means, you know, 150,000 um, nuclear missiles. Uh, and, you know, so they take out Russia, but at least, God damn it, I got them. Unfortunately, I agree with Alden and I'm worried that that to Putin, who, to, to quote one of our diplomats, is unhinged, and there's no saying what he will do. I guess we have to hope for some internal uh, people there uh, near him, and nobody's especially near him, uh, prevail on him to give up. But uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, uh, as a Jewish person, I was not pleased to see the Babi Yar uh, memorial. Uh, defaced by a bomb yesterday. I guess I hadn't even remembered that it was in Ukraine. You, you forgot that those, they're all fascists there. You, you didn't really remember that, right? Well, that or they were, uh, what, 80 years ago. <laughs> yeah, right, right. They're, they're in a post-fascist stage now where we're going to be sympathetic to them. I don't, I normally think of myself as a fairly placid person, not particularly uh, prone to panic, but uh, when I woke up this morning and took my two dogs out outside, as I usually do, all of a sudden there were these loud sirens that went off all around me. Uh, I hadn't heard anything like this before in the two years I've lived here in, in Louisville, and my first thought was to run out, run back inside the house, turn the TV on, and look at CNN and my local TV channel to see what kind of awful things were happening in the world. And so I, I mentioned this just because I think it probably represents a kind of uh, underlying concern or fear that a lot of people in America and probably in many places around the world uh, feel about you know, what could happen. I mean, we, we all are familiar with the you know, the guns of August that preceded the outbreak of World War One, and how there was this unexpected uh, set of interlinked uh, uh, connections that, uh, that basically led to a horrible world war. Um, and it's just so unpredictable about what could happen um, that I, I think it's, you know, a certain amount of fear is justifiable. The problem is, in, in my opinion, that we're dealing with a madman whose actions we can't predict. And so if you can't predict what the, what the, what the madman's going to do, it's almost impossible to determine an, an appropriate response. Uh, too, let me just comment that uh, I know how, how old we all are to within a year or two. So we were uh, infants or not born during World War II. My father came home from Europe after two years when I was, well, when I was two years old. Um, and uh, so in any, any case, we're not gonna be drafted. And in fact, our children are too old to be drafted. Some of us might have grandchildren of, of uh, army age, but we don't have a draft anymore. So we're insulated in a way that our parents were not in 1945. Um, and remember that the world was in very bad shape in 1945 when I was born in 44 and 45. And we had a, a few good decades after that. 
So it's not looking good at the moment, but let's hope we go into another halcyon set of, uh, of decades, which will extend long before us, long after us. One thing that I really like about what Biden is doing is that he's making, him, he's making the United States predictable. And I think that, that, that what, what we've done in the past is a, a disaster, like that, that we, we, absolutely, we, we gave our word to Ukraine that we would not, uh, if they gave up nukes, that, that, that we would not let anything happen to them. And we went around telling all these people in Afghanistan that we were there for the long, we were going to stay there. Okay, so so what we've done in the past is is, is a lot of bullshit and, and false false promises, and uh, what the other thing that I like about what Biden is doing by, by uh, with uh, what he said is is that he brings all this down to a a a, a more le a level where people can hear each other and talk, but by saying the United States will not jump in. You, you, know, you know, all these things are very kind of rational approaches, but all kinds of unexpected things could happen. You can imagine yes. that some, someone tries to assassinate Putin and he responds by, you know, firing off some nuclear missiles here, there and yonder. And before we're, we know it, we're living in a, you know, Cormac McCarthy type post-acopolyptic world. Uh, it could happen. You know, we can think back about the Cuban Missile Crisis and all of the unknown factors that were going on behind the scenes that none of us ever heard about until years later when these academic historians began writing books about it. Yeah. He's more likely to be taken out by somebody over there close, to, you know, someone in the leadership uh, area that wants to, get, wants to uh, end this. Thank you, George, for sending that piece around. And um, toward the end, she talks about um, the big boys uh, needing to all pull out. Um, I mean, big corporate interests. And I guess I don't see that happening, but I think they are part of the problem that the global plutocracy, oligarchy, kleptocracy, and uh, the interrelationships um, are the problem. And even if, if you know, one of the cronies assass assassinated Putin, he'd, he'd be just as bad. Um, so I see, um, I think power does corrupt absolutely when it's unchecked and unchecked power stops at nothing so i think there's every reason to be very fe fearful but um strengthening you know the few institutions uh or networks or people who are pushing for equality equality every place um including around the globe and um and caring uh respect for natural systems and for all human beings those are the those are the people i would want to strengthen now and put my only hope in them which is not not much how do you think biden is handling it 
Um, he didn't come across to me as as the leader I would want, the leader of our country in there now. And when he said, and he said, the answer is not defund the police, um, but do reforms. He didn't say do reforms. He said fund the police. And and everybody latching on to arming the Ukrainians, including me. I mean, it seems like the only short-term option and thing that can be done, but violence begets violence. Um, I believe that the steps that led up uh, to after World War II uh, and uh, also at the end of the dissolution of the uh, Soviet uh, Union uh, and uh, the was followed by a, uh, you know, a increasing paranoia over the years as uh, NATO got stronger. And, uh, and this situation, you know, the only thing that I think is new in this conversation, I'll add, was the, the uh, increasing um, uh, courtship of uh, Ukraine to join the Union, to join NATO. And uh, I think that was uh, caused, uh, as somebody said about the bear, I think, well, that was Johnny. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't disturb an already mad bear. Uh, I think that led to, okay, he's got to do something because he watches his, his dreams shrinking year by year. Right, right. And, and the bear, the bear, the mad bear he acts like a mad bear. So, in um, so far as uh, uh, the uh, the uh, reaction of the U.S., I rather like uh, what uh, what uh, uh, given what I just said, given all that, that we find ourselves in. Uh, as a Japanese uh, woman once told me, every time something new happens, oh look, a baby dinosaur! <laughs> you know, we keep giving birth to all these little dinosaurs. NATO, that'll surely do it. Don't you agree? I, I certainly do. We've got it now. My last thing is that I hope that the conferences that are going on, uh, everybody, I think, including perhaps uh, Russia, realizing how we're not going to back down the West and the rest of the world, uh, is looking for a uh, a. Um, uh, a honorable, you know, a, a publicly, uh, um, politically uh, um, heroic way out. Well, George Allen, I mean, one of my neighbors said to me this morning that that uh, he felt that uh, uh, Putin was akin to Hitler, except uh, Putin has nuclear weapons. I mean, and, and we're in we're in that World War II situation again. What, what's your thinking, George Allen? couple of things. Uh, I think that the prosperity of Europe, uh, which is now very much seen in uh, Bulgaria, Romania, Poland, has a gravitational pull. Uh, and I, I don't believe that the uh, expressed wish, uh, gosh, almost a decade ago of Ukraine and Georgia to get into NATO and the EU uh, was born of, I mean, you can say, oh, that, that's because we manipulated their governments. Uh, I don't doubt that we manipulated their governments. We've been doing that ever since the Monroe Doctrine. Uh, but 
nevertheless, those are popular views in uh, those places. Uh, I, I looked at GDP numbers uh, and uh, per capita income numbers. Uh, and I also took a look at what they were 10 years ago. Uh, 10 years ago, uh, maybe back before that, uh, before uh, Poland, uh, Romania, Bulgaria uh, went into the EU, uh, per capita income in Ukraine, per capita income in those countries was all about the same. Uh, now, per capita income in those countries is three or four times what it is in Ukraine. Uh, and Bulgaria is the poorest country in Europe. Yeah, but it's not as poor as Ukraine by any stretch of the imagination. Bulgaria has per capita income up there around eighteen or twenty thousand dollars per year, and Ukraine's about four thousand per year. Uh, Let, let's go back. Let's go back two minutes. Uh, hit, uh, Putin may be unhinged, and he may be unhinged about. Uh, about uh, um, Ukraine, but he is not methodically going to be killing all the Jews one by one. So he's not Hitler yet. No, he's not. No, no. There's nothing like a Nazi movement there. Well, I mean, let, let's go back to, let's go way, way back. Let's go back to war and peace. Uh, what uh, what uh, was described there by Tolstoy was how corrupt and inept Russian army was. Uh, they didn't have a master plan to fall back to Moscow uh, and envelop uh, Napoleon. They, they fought a lot of battles and lost them. And uh, so uh, given that, uh, and he's got this kind of inept military now uh, where uh, he thought, uh, he was going to be in Kiev in a couple of days, going to be able to capture this government. Uh, I think this guy's a prisoner of his own delusions. Uh, his whole life experience had been that you really could topple a government. And therefore, uh, he and his guys were propping up uh, Donald Trump with attaboy type stuff and saying, well, yeah, you know, uh, you get some smart lawyers who figure out how the Constitution really does let uh, the vice president say that you won. Uh, I mean, all of that was just wild in, in terms of the way we saw it. But let's look at how Vladimir Putin saw it. I mean, his whole life he's been seeing governments that were toppled uh, and somebody else put in. Uh, so, of course, he would have thought that that had at least a chance. Uh, the, the problem now is that uh, I think I sure as hell did not foresee being able to get the Germans on board. I just, I thought that that was a bridge too far, way too far. I, 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 I'm trying to think, I guess the last time I was in Germany was, uh, I don't know, eight or nine years ago. Uh, my former wife, Susan, and I went to Berlin for a week, uh, I always wanted to do Berlin Philharmonic in Philharmonic in Berlin. Uh, and Berlin's a very pacifist country and they kept ratcheting down their military. Uh, but, uh, you know, if you look at the world as it looks right now, it's very, very different from how it looked a month ago. Uh, 
month ago, you didn't have the 82nd Airborne in Poland uh, or in Latvia and Estonia uh, and other units of the US military in Poland, plus the five divisions we already had in Germany. Uh, so now we've got this huge forward presence of a lot of really capable military uh, uh, capacity uh, so that, and that has every appearance of being permanent. Uh, God, the Swedes have been integrated in terms of cooperating in NATO war games for, I don't know, a decade or so. I mean, the Swedes are helping fly reconnaissance flights uh, together with everybody else. Uh, and they've got a good air force. Uh, we've said we're not getting involved, but we've got these uh, RQ-4 Global Hawk uh, reconnaissance drones up at 60,000 feet orbiting over Ukraine and, and providing their military with real-time intelligence of what is where. Uh, that's a lot of why the Ukrainian uh, military has been able to, uh, you know, they've been able to enforce this classic uh, you can't cover the last 10 kilometers uh, proposition. Uh, yeah, you can move a military convoy down to within about 10 kilometers of Kiev, but how do you get the rest of the way? Uh, uh, they're now, it, it, I, I looked at it on, on Google Earth. Uh, the rest of the way involves going through forested country, heavily forested country, uh, where Ukrainian snipers can be out there with javelin missiles to take out tanks. Uh, and uh, then in these urban canyons of house-to-house uh, building-to-building warfare, uh, that's not winnable militarily. Uh, well, George, let me ask you this. I mean, why do you why do you guys think that uh, Putin waited to do it? Why didn't he do it when Trump was in office? Well, I, I think you. I mean, the, the, that speech, uh, the angry, uh, angry speech that he made. Uh, one, the anger, and two, he used the word betrayal. Uh, and I mean, there were two things he said in that speech that I thought were very important. One was betrayal, and the other is uh, will not negotiate. Uh, I think he got played by Xi Jinping. I mean, I don't know why he didn't do it back when Trump was in office, but I know why he didn't do it in January when he had maximum military advantage, and that was Xi Jinping lured him to uh, Beijing uh, for the Olympics and put him up there in a very visible, prominent position, and he concluded this utterly meaningless deal that uh, they're going to cooperate in a partnership that has no limits, uh, stroked the hell out of him, uh, but told him, uh, whatever you do, don't invade while I have my Olympics going on. Uh, and so he didn't. And then Olympics are over and he's all ready in mass to invade and he starts to invade. And the Chinese foreign minister says, well, we still recognize the sovereignty of Ukraine and we think there ought to be a diplomatic solution. And now that he's a week into this and his army is stuck and he can't get that last 10 or 15 kilometers to actually capture that government, 
as his military guys had told him he, he would be able to do. Uh, and the longer this goes on, the worse it is for them. And what we're now going to see is, okay, the United States won't come in, but mercenaries will come in like crazy. Uh, and uh, they're going to pour more and more and more weapons. Uh, those, th there is no perimeter that can be held with Ukraine. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, uh, just thousands of kilometers of, of utterly open, indefensible uh, borders. Right. Uh, so there's no way they can, there's no way they can seal it off. Mm -hmm. uh, and long term, uh, Russia takes huge casualties and loses. Uh, if we assume that the, the Ukraine gov government uh, collapses and Ukraine is taken over by Russia in whatever capacity they end, end up governing, um, how is this going to affect uh, China's willingness to invade Taiwan? And wouldn't that put the United States in a much worse position militarily than you know, we currently are, the kind of quasi extent to which we're involved or not involved in the Ukraine war? I think you're right. That we're... Uh, our our position restraining uh, China is going to be much weaker if Russia gets away with uh, seizing control of Ukraine. Yeah, but Xi Jinping doesn't want it. He, he doesn't want to actually invade anything to control it. Uh, he's light years ahead of these guys technologically. He's going to control it with what he's controlling. I mean, look, what they're doing is projecting their power through debt. Uh, all of the uh, uh, Belt and Road thing, are, those are debt traps. Those are loans, sovereign loans to governments in Africa and South America uh, to hire Chinese contractors to go in and build giant infrastructure. Uh, it's very much the way the Brits developed the American West. Uh, it was British capital that built the Union Pacific Railroad. Uh, and the United States paid it off. Uh, so... Uh, I, I don't think the G really wants to go invade anybody. I think he wants to get them indebted. I think he wants to get them as part of his sphere of influence. Uh, he, wants, he wants his great big position. And I think he's perfectly happy to have, John Woodford said this morning, and uh, Xi Jinping's probably happy to take Russia as a vassal. Uh, I mean, it, what does he want out of uh, Russia? I mean, what he wants is resources. We can get the resources without invading. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, Jeff, what do you think? What's happening? What do you think? What's the view from Spain? Where where you are? Oh, the view from Spain. <laughs> I, I think everybody here is horrified by, by what's going on and the this. And of course, a lot of people, I, me included, uh, see. Uh, um, scenes that are reminiscent of, of the battle for Madrid in, uh, in, in the late 30s, in 1937, 38, um, you know, and the, I, I think just, just people are torn. And of course we have lots of Ukrainians here in Spain and also lots of Russians, but I think more Ukrainians. And uh, I, I don't know. The only only specifically Spanish reaction is, of course, uh, we. I I think I think 
they may be trying to compare uh, the uh, Ukraine's uh, seeking independence of Russia to Catalonia's trying to get uh, you know free free of uh, central Spain, but um, I don't. That's that's not something I've actually heard uh, Spaniard in the Spanish press or mm -hmm. you know or any Spanish commentator. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you know like like me, everybody's horrified by the the bloodshed, the the, the ferocity of the attack. Yeah. Yeah. Putin. Putin seems to be losing on the ground, so he's going to try to win by missiles. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, with I, I don't know what the latest is, but it looks like you know a lot of the a lot of these Russian boys are are deserting. They're they're happy to surrender. They don't want to fight, and and they're amazed. They, they thought they were going to be liberating a country, and, and they find themselves called fascist, and yeah. Yeah. it's very disturbing to to them. So I think I think this 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 whole event may endanger Putin's control in the long run. Nick, how are you? What are you thinking? Hi, hi, you all. <clears throat> um, I I just opened my email for the first time in a week and and uh, see you guys. So I thought I'd <laughs> pop in. <clears throat> um, Ukraine. Uh, <clears throat> I'm I'm struck struck by the enthusiasm that. Uh, was evanescent in the Arab Spring, <clears throat> and um, great hopes, <clears throat> but ultimately foundering. <clears throat> However, I don't think that's a <clears throat> a total analogy to what's going on in Ukraine right now. <clears throat> and uh, I come down and thinking that an unfortunate statement, maybe ten to fifteen years ago, by the United States about Ukraine joining NATO or possibly joining NATO, <clears throat> an unfortunate <clears throat> statement, <clears throat> perhaps, but it doesn't it doesn't rise anywhere near actions that Putin has in invading a sovereign nation, and the sovereign nation concept. Uh, <clears throat> although defined many different ways, I think is um, is really the foundation of world order <clears throat> since World War II, and uh, <clears throat> it is uh, and the reactions from uh, countries from Japan to Australia to to Hungary of all places, Orban coming out <clears throat> and taking a stance, um, yeah. and us and all of that. <clears throat> Uh, Switzerland, Sweden, Finland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Finland and Sweden, uh, perhaps becoming involved, uh, really indicates the depth of this feeling as opposed to the Arab Spring. And uh, I think we're we're doing the right thing. I think Biden's doing just the right thing uh, and not putting <clears throat> uh, at least acknowledged feet on the ground in Ukraine. And uh, <clears throat> and. Uh, so I don't know how Putin's going to get out of it, <clears throat> keeping any face at all. Um, but uh, I think we we play the game out uh, to defend the concept of sovereign nations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We've invaded uh, so many nations and bombed them. Do you wonder what? Uh, who are we to decide as the uh, arbiters of what is a legal or moral action? I wonder. I mean, just in our lifetimes, if we go from Vietnam 
to the president, we go to Iran, we go to <coughs> Libya, we've helped tear apart uh, Yugoslavia. We've done all sorts of stuff, uh, outstripping anything that uh, the Russians have done. So I kind of wonder, I wonder why people in the United States are uh, so unself-critical. Uh, we've yep. killed, we, you know, we've, we've wiped out many, many more cities. And, even, and then if we don't do it directly, we armed, we armed people like the Saudis and helped them right now wipe out in, uh, the people in Yemen. And uh, if our news coverage portrayed the suffering of the people in Yemen, as sympathetically as they now have the, uh, you know, uh, ablaze with uh, sympathy for Ukrainians, maybe people might even wonder, let, let alone the people in Central America, why are those people in Central America trying to leave their countries and coming up? It doesn't have anything to do with U.S. policy. We've installed uh, most of their leaders, and you know, as soon as they stand up and want to control their own resources, we, we get another one. We use the same uh, um, financial plus military plus who knows what kinds of uh, uh, things that we set up inside their countries, um, you know, inner groups that we set up and maintain. So I just wonder. When we John, what's on there. I'm, I'm we very stick, uncomfortable. We stick the rock on Iran. We stick yeah, but I rock. think this is very blatant. Don't you think, yeah. uh, John? I mean, this is... Uh pretty blatant what uh, Putin did. Yeah, he's just he's not as good at it. I just want to get in one <clears throat> small thing to answer John. Uh, Gandhi <clears throat> once was questioned <clears throat> about the history of his movement. And he had a simple reply. That was last week. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think we're all still learning. We're all imperfect. So uh, yeah, I, I, could, I could go on and on. I'd love to have a discussion, John, with you on all of that. Peter, how are you thinking? Peter, what's up with you? I'm half Russian, so <laughs> I, I've heard, I've heard, I've heard all the worst things about Russia all my life uh, from my family. <clears throat> but um, my father was the only person I knew back in the. 70s, 60s and 70s, who used to tell me the Soviet Union was going to collapse. And I never paid any attention to them whatsoever, as you don't pay too much attention to your parents, of course. But, but um, uh, we, you know, everybody thought the Soviet Union would last forever. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden they collapsed. So the thing about Russia is... Uh, it can, uh, things can happen, slide, strange, I think things could happen pretty fast. And, and, and I don't think our intelligence is that good. They, and I, you know, things could happen. Uh, <clears throat> my sister called me the other day and told me I'm part Ukrainian too. So <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm reading, there's a really good writer, by the way, you guys. Uh, I don't know if you know this guy, Peter Pomerantsev. Here's, here's his book. It's called Nothing is True and Everything is Possible. <laughs> the Surreal Heart of, of the New Russia. Kind of depicts Russia as a gangster state. He's, I think he's written a couple of books, but it's very uh, 
he writes about the culture and uh, uh, sociology in this present uh, present day Russia, and, and he's been on the on the radio too. He's very very articulate, and so um, uh, you know I agree with John because I've 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 spent a lot of time in Africa, and I know uh, I uh, you know I know what we what our involvement with. Uh, the Congo. Adam Hochschild has written about uh, our our involvement in assassinating Lumumba. But um, probably the the difference is that is that there's some hope of democracy alive in this country, and uh, and Russia itself internally is pretty is pretty weird place, a kind of a gangster. Run, run, please. So, first of all, I just want to make a very quick comment. I think everything that John has said about America's own transgressions is right on point. But that I, I would argue that the fact that a particular position is hypocritical doesn't make it wrong. <laughs> right. I think we still have to take a strong stance against what. Sure. The Russians are doing in Ukraine now. That's it for this episode of LNAH Daily. I'm Kent Garrett. You can hear more episodes on our podcast, which you can find on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or from wherever you get your podcast. Plus, you can read all about us in the book, The Last Negroes at Harvard.